This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by UBCP ACTRA, a.k.a. the Union of British Columbia Performers. UBCP is an autonomous branch of the Alliance of Canadian Cinema, Television, and Radio Artists, the national organization of professional performers working in the English language recorded media in Canada. For more information about UBCP ACTRA, visit ubcpactra.ca. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart of the Vancouver film and television industry, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work, capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Rani Firminger, and today, well today I am absolutely delighted to welcome William B. Davis to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Nine years ago, I had the opportunity to interview William for a newspaper article about his first book, Where There's Smoke, Musings of a Cigarette Smoking Man. William played the iconic cigarette smoking man on The X-Files, and as a diehard X-File, that's a file with a PH, I was shocked by memory of the revelations in those pages. Like how William, whose X-Files character was the face of government cover-ups and conspiracies, was actually an ardent skeptic who I believe went to like conspiracy conventions to like debate people. Uh, that, it was nine years ago, so I don't remember that, but I remember being so shocked. And also, I was shocked by how long before he was keeping Mulder and Scully from the truth out there, he was a celebrated acting teacher and theater director who helmed plays on both sides of the pond, featuring legends like Maggie Smith, Albert Finney, Derek Jacoby, Donald Sutherland, and Jackie Burroughs. I loved Where There's Smoke. I was really excited. and surprised actually, when I learned that William had written another book, this one entitled On Acting, dot, 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 and Life. This book is a celebration of the craft of acting. It is rich with anecdotes about directing actors and developing characters, while also providing the kind of practical information about rehearsing, learning lines, and fine-tuning your work that actors pay good money for in acting schools. As Brian Cox writes on the back of the book, Bill Davis's On Acting is a fascinating tapestry of a life dedicated not only to the art, but also to a deeper philosophical grasp of our work. Bill chronicles a highly personal journey that is founded in the search for a truth that truly illuminates the mystery of our craft. So let's talk with William about that search, that truth, that mystery, and that craft. William B. Davis. Welcome to the Wide Bear Screen Scene Podcast. Thank you, and thank you for that uh, generous introduction. Sweet. Not generous, all true, all true. Hey. <laughs> I, so as I said, I really enjoyed the first book, and it was a dense read. There was so much information in there, and I still remember, remember little snippets of it. Like I remember that, because um, I lived in Newmarket, Ontario, I remember being so surprised that like your family 
uh, th- that Davis Drive was actually the, in the Davis York Drive family and the old family. Davis Tannery and, and also <laughs> being so surprised about this entire life that you, you had had decades before the X-Files starting out, you know, doing radio, audio dramas at CBC and then all the hopping back and forth across the pond. You got a lot into that first book. What inspired you to write this particular follow-up? I've been wanting to write a book about acting for a long time. You know, there's quite a lot about acting in the first memoir, but but it comes in bits and pieces, and and uh, it's not focused particularly on on that. It's focused more on my life and my personal life. And, um, but I wanted to write a book on acting, but I still wanted to I still wanted to clarify um, my history as a professional, my, mm-hmm. my artistic development. And I wasn't sure how to go about that. Um, and I had an icon on my computer for a long time called why, because that would be, that was going to be the title of the book. Why? Because mm-hmm. essentially what I'm trying to say is if you know why, what you do as an actor, if you know why you do it, you'll do it. That the whole task is finding out why, why do I kill Duncan? Why do I kill Caesar? Why do I want to do that? Not just why does this, why am I some other character who does that? I mean, it's the same with uh, X-Files as, as Smoking Man. Why do I, uh, why do I join the conspiracy with the aliens? Mm. I have to want to do that. Anyway, I digress slightly. <clears throat> then I came upon Stephen King's book called On Writing, which is divided in two sections. He has a, uh, a first half, which is his history, his personal history as a writer, not his personal, personal history, but his personal writing history, and follows that with what he thinks he knows about writing. And that's basically what I've done in this book. My personal story as an actor, director, acting teacher, uh, which is quite, as you've already noted, it's quite unusual and varied, and it's quite a story in itself. And then the second, and the second half is what I think I know, and then kind of finally at the end, there's what I think is the underlying philosophy of it all. So there's a lot there. There's so much there. And as somebody who is, I'm not an actor, but I love actors so much. So reading the entire book cover to cover, though, I which I. Listeners, this is the most hilarious thing. I, I showed over Zoom, uh, William, the copy of the book that I received, and it's so new. He hadn't even seen this version. It came direct to me from the publisher. So, but it, so, so I read it cover to cover, and it, I feel like it gives me an appreciation more of the work, the capital T, capital W, that actors do. You know, you're, you're, you mentioned the why, though, and it, it makes me wonder why do actors act like is there a thread you know in all the actors that you've known and in yourself as an actor that you see that motivates actors that's a, that, that's a great question. crazy life <laughs> i remember talking to one of our one of our uh uh duncan 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 fraser one of our local actors here once about something and uh and he was mentioning acting and he said he said well, if you're an actor you have to do it you just have mm-hmm. to do it and I thought, and that was interesting for me because that's never been my situation for me because I've been as much a director and an acting teacher as I've been an actor. So I've n- not felt that I had to act. Mm. I say that 
But now I'm working on a play. I'm working on No Man's Land, a Harold Pinter play, which we're going to do in Vancouver next fall. Yes. And I am so absorbed by it <laughs> that it's like I have to do it. Um, huh. So, so what is that compulsion that makes you want to, uh, to live in another skin in a way? Um, and yet my whole philosophy is you, you live in your own skin, but, but it changes, it mm-hmm. alters to become the skin of the character. So it's, it's, it's difficult to say why that, why that drives people and, you know, and people, of course, act for different reasons. Some people act for publicity. Some people act they, to make money. But some people just really, like Duncan Fraser, have to do it. It's mm. just, it's their DNA. It's a calling. It's a compulsion. Yeah, exactly. it's, a, it's an addiction. Do you yeah. think that, that anyone who wants to can be an actor? An no. actor? Okay. No. Yeah. Uh, Tell me more. Yes and no. Um, to to because uh, I was asked that question yesterday on a, on an interview. Um, to really be an actor, uh, to be a, and a good actor, does require talent. Hmm. Not anybody can play for the Vancouver Canucks. You know, in fact, few people can play for the Van, but a lot of people can play hockey. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, there's a. I think there's a. There's a. I think almost anyone can be taught some basic principles that will allow them to do uh, a simple role that's close to themselves, blah, blah, blah. Um, But to really, really do the work, to really, uh, to identify with a complex, nuanced character and make it, make it live. Mm -hmm. uh, It's a talent. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a job and hopefully there's a craft and then my book is a lot about what the craft is, yeah. but ultimately under that there's a talent. Yeah. Talent is required, you know, as yeah. part of the, the alchemy for how to really succeed here. Exactly. So for millions of people all over the world, you are, you are the cigarette smoking man. Um, and as we've mentioned, as you've just mentioned, and as the books, both of them illustrate so well, you are clearly more than that one role. So, how do you describe yourself and see yourself right now in this moment, especially with all the different labels that there are, actor, teacher, director, a stage actor, screen actor? And how does, how, yeah, and how, how has how you see yourself changed over time? That's, I mean, that's, that, that's a good question because I've always been somewhat surprised how people see me as the cigarette smoking man, hmm. you know, and I was also, and I was surprised by celebrity status. Hmm. Um, I remember fairly early on in the, uh, in the development of the X-Files. And I, I remember going into a, uh, um, electronic store in Vancouver back in the day when we had electronic stores and people went to stores. Like a radio um, shack. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and I'm, I'm talking to the salesperson. He's standing beside me, and I realize he's shaking. He's so entranced that he's standing beside the actor playing the cigarette smoking man. I think, you know, it's just me. You know, <laughs> <laughs> just, you know I live here. I need <laughs> you know, my I'm batteries. Like, <laughs> <laughs> wow. And, and so that was that was new to me. And yeah. and. Uh, 
and I've had some fun with it because I've gone to, you know, conventions and that kind of thing where they all clap when you come on stage and you think, well, that's, I mean, that's nice, but, but it's not ultimately me. I mean, mm. I was 53 before that happened. I had some life before that started. Yeah. Um, so I've always seen myself as a person in the, in the business, uh, in the, in, I don't even like calling it a business, uh, in a profession, let's say. Mm-hmm. I think that word. Um, and primarily as a theater director, um, secondarily as an acting teacher, and thirdly as an actor. Um, but that flips around, those, those uh, emphasis, emphasis change, you know, yeah. and, and now somewhat as a writer, you know, so. I, I think two giant volumes. Yes, you can absolutely call yourself a writer, a fantastic writer, an engrossing writer. You absolutely can. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, I, I do want to, I do have a few more, or one more question really, yeah. um, about your, your time on the X-Files. And it's about, it, it's about joy. Uh, and because I, I love to talk to actors and artists of all kinds about the joy that they derive from from their work, specifically from the work that you did, though, as Cigarette Smoking Man. There's a role you didn't get to smile very much. Um, <laughs> what kind of joy did you derive from the work that you did on camera for The X-Files? Aren't you proud of the work that you did? Um, yes, yes, thank you, yes. Um, although it's... It, I, I think those who don't do it, those who just watch us, imagine a slightly different relationship to the work than we actually have. Mm. Because people say things like, how did it feel working on an uh, internationally famous television show? Mm-hmm. Well, the truth is it felt the same as working on any television show, even a flop. Um, here we are doing the work. Yeah. We don't, we're not looking at it from the outside. We're not seeing as we work, we're not seeing, oh, this is famous or this is terrific and, or, or, or people are going to love me for this, blah, blah, blah. We're just doing the job. Um, the only thing that somewhat distinguished X-Files really from the beginning, and it stemmed from Chris Carter all the way down, I think, mm-hmm. was a kind of perfectionism, an, a, a willingness to try to make it the very, very best possible. Um, and everybody did their extra, whether it's the actor, the director, or the focus puller. Mm-hmm. They wanted it the best. Um, so so certainly there's a pride being connected to something that's doing that. Um, as an actor for me, what what the joy for me, one of the joys for me as an actor is because the, the role developed the way it did, it, it gave me more and more mileage. It gave me more and more... A, a, ability or opportunity to relax as an actor and to just grow as an actor so that by the time we got to the reboot you know it it was just so much fun to do Um, because the doing the show it just helped me grow in that craft you know yeah yeah was there anything in the in the response to the show over the decades that has been surprising to you um, <laughs> well, it was surprising to me at the beginning that people believed in it. Um, mm. Well, or, or put it another way, because um, that's not quite true. I mean, I, I had the famous debate with Richard Dawkins, uh, who said, uh, who was, uh, I won't call him my mentor, because I had, had not then yet met him. I have since. Uh, who in 1998, in a famous speech, condemned the show 
as uh, as contributing to pseudoscience. And he argued that, you know, in every show, something pseudoscientific comes up and is basically debated between Mulder and Scully. Scully huh. always reputes it. Mulder always defends it. Mulder always wins. So the pseudoscience was always uh, established as the truth in huh. the show. And he, Dawkins, as the famous skeptic and atheist, said, this is promoting people to believe in pseudoscience. No, I didn't know he said that. Oh, I'm so disappointed. <laughs> I, well, I can't wait to, I want to, like, is this a, I'm going to try to find this interview. And if I find it, I'll put it in the footnotes. It's for actually, some of it's quoted in my, in my first book. Um, okay. So, so then this puts me as a skeptic um, and a rationalist in a kind of awkward position. So... <laughs> Should I be doing this show? Uh, I mean, I'm contributing to pseudoscience. Uh, uh, how can I? In how can, how his can opinion. I so, in, in, in my, so I should quit. Obviously, I should quit as a matter of principle. Um, but I saved myself because Dawkins made this statement that it contributes. He's right about the description, but he has no evidence about its conclusion. He has no evidence that it changes anybody's mind. Oh. And he's the great believer in evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't have much evidence, but I had a little, because I would go to conventions and I would ask X-File fans if they believed in aliens and alien abduction. Some of them did, but lots of them didn't. Hmm. You know, and lots of skeptics were X-File fans. So, so his argument was not persuasive. So I could see him in the show. <laughs> wow. Clearly I need to go back and reread uh, the first, that first book because I that completely yeah. forgot yeah, that. It's not a big that, That's incredible. But also, I mean, I, I'm just also thinking like what I love about the X-Files and what I love about all great genre genre television, genre film and sci-fi and fantasy, I mean, is the fantastical element of it, you know? I mean, even even something like um like Simon Barry's Warrior Nun. I love that show. It doesn't make me believe that there's a secret order of of yeah. warrior nuns out there fighting evil. You know, I mean it's it is neat though how these different things can um uh, yeah. can hold up a mirror to society in some way, you know, as well. But it's not like you're converting. That is, yeah. a, that is, a, you have absolutely, I'm stammering right now. You've completely <laughs> blown your mind. You know, I've got to say, so my next question is about um, memorable rules. And I do want to thank you because you did something for me nine years ago during this interview. I asked you for what your favorite role was. And you pushed back and said that favorite was kind of an unfair question and that what i should be asking for are memorable rules the way that they have impacted on you and so i while i do have a segment in, in a lot of episodes called favorite things where i try to like you know i i, I throw people around I'm like what's your favorite cookie your favorite candy whatever <laughs> when i talk about about careers and roles and reflecting it's always been about memorable memorable so right. that is a way that you've impacted me as an interviewer yeah. Which brings me to, so thank you for that. Yeah. So you, you better answer this question then. Right. <laughs> William, you, let's, let's talk about what are, what are some of the, the memorable roles of yours from your career, you know, that, 
th- that when you think of them, they you smile. You know, what is it, and what is it about these roles that make them so memorable for you? Give me a couple. Um, I don't know why this jumps out because it was in rep in England when I played Don John in Much Ado About Nothing. And it was the beginning of my life as a villain, I think. Yeah, it's one of your first bad guy roles. That's right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And and here I was, and I worked out why I was not the villain. And I, I found enough evidence to show that actually I was doing what needed to be done and what was right to be done and what should be done. Hmm. Um, and of course that's motivated me as an actor, you know, ever since mm-hmm. <laughs> that I, I never played the villain. I always played the good guy. You just misunderstand the movie. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Because as, as you write in the book, I actually have this part highlighted, uh, in, in, uh, not my physical copy, but my, the PDF as well that I have, because the villain, you write that the villain never thinks that yeah, they're exactly. the villain. Exactly. I, and I, I love that part. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What What about from your your film and television? Yeah. Uh, do you know one? I'm it's because it's still going that I'm just loving is in upload. Playing upload. David, <laughs> playing David Choke and playing comedy. Yeah. Which 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 I should have been doing, I think, for the last fifty years. Because I'm pretty darn good at it. I think. Because <laughs> um, it comes naturally to me. I, I don't think I'm playing comedy. I just play straight, and everybody mm-hmm. laughs. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't that like that's the secret, right? That's like the that's secret. the, the secret to, to playing yeah. comedy well is yeah. to yeah. just play it like it's not comedy. Yeah. I, I say that as if I know that, but I think maybe no, I read it right. in your book. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, I, I'm curious about working at, and how the work has changed in the last couple of years in this age of COVID. You know, I mean, I know that that a lot of the onset protocols, ha- you know keeping everybody healthy, that that's changed. Um, but I, I'm, I can also imagine that that might change the way that actors interact with each other and the, and, you know, and the, and the rehearsal time or the prep time or you know, what kind of changes are you, have you seen, you know, uh, as, as far as, you know, the, the actor's life on set and, you know, are there any particular challenges of this time that you find have changed things? Not really in the work. I mean, it, it, there's some, kind of irritating things about, oh, oh, we have to clear more people off the set. Now we've got too many people on set right now, mm-hmm. et cetera. So that's all the protocol stuff. Um, and we have to keep the masks on, blah, 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 blah. But in terms of the actual work and the actual dynamic with the cast, with ourselves and with the crew, I don't, I don't feel a difference. Mm-hmm. What, I mean, the, the one thing one felt, because we do so much work here, that's uh, American based, mm-hmm. what you what you feel is the frustration that the American cast had mm-hmm. about the border controls, basically. So that where and I think that's why we only did seven episodes of upload uh, in season two when we were supposed to do 10. I mean, oh. it was all there. I mean, yeah. I'd even prepared I did my lines for episode eight, um, but they just stopped. And I think it's because the cast, because of the still the 14 day protocol, it wasn't just you had to get tested across the border. You had, if you came to Canada, you had to, you had to um, quarantine for 14 days. Oh, right. Um, 
So basically, if they had a five-day layoff over a long weekend or something, they couldn't go home. Mm -hmm. So they couldn't see their kids. Uh, one was newly married. She couldn't see her husband. Mm. Uh, you know, so so that kind of just domestic frustration, um, I think. And finally, I think the producers just said, okay, this is too hard on everybody. Let's let them go. <laughs> we'll shoot that afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. I mean, that's, that's good to, good to hear. And also I like knowing that there are still a few, a few upload stories that are still locked and loaded and uh, possibly ready to go. Um, I, I, there's, I mean, we could talk for hours and hours. I don't want to take so much of your time, but can we talk specifically um, before we wrap for today about our local screen scene? Um, and maybe I'll even expand it to be just our local acting scene, because I know that, you know, yourself, Gabrielle Rose, uh, Brian Markinson, you do move back and forth, you know, into the theater world and, and yeah. screen and, and back again. What would you enjoy about working here? And how would you characterize our particular, our particular company of actors in our town? Oh, that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, because it's actually quite, quite a remarkable um, team. It's a big team, but um, but there is a sense of community, I think, around around the Vancouver actor-director team, mm -hmm. uh, group, or, or professionals, because we're we're not very big, really. I mean, in in Toronto, or it's much bigger in London. Of course, it's hugely bigger. Um, so so we're small enough that most of us know each other in some sense. One thing, though, one thing you're asking about the effect of COVID, one thing that has been a detriment is we don't go to auditions anymore. Mm. Um, and why I say that's a detriment is we don't meet anybody anymore. It, you know, that was one of the places where we where we mixed. We always had to bump into, you know, oh, it's the usual group. Da, da, da. <laughs> Here we are again. You know, and we would complain about it and whatever. But 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 it was a bonding uh, opportunity as well. And yeah. the same with the union meetings, for instance. Uh, you know, it's a big one tonight, but we're going to do it on Zoom. We're not going to bond. Um, so so in that sense, it's 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 allowed it to fray at the seams, I think. But uh, um, but from what I can feel, it still it still goes, and and the willingness of most of us to do some theater, even though most of the theater here is quite quite small and low budget, mm -hmm. um, because we want to do it, uh, you know, um, we we miss we I mean except for the arts club, we really don't have any theaters mm. in, in that that are you know full fully paid uh, yes you write about the playhouse theater company exactly. that almost made me weep yeah, I, know. I know i worked there several times mm -hmm. and, um, in fact i came to vancouver to to run the school of yeah. the vancouver playhouse um, so so you know we, we missed that i think um but uh but we're willing, as I say, to find a way to just get on stage together and do interesting stuff. You know? Yeah. Well, I, I enjoy 
all of the interesting stuff you do as a director, as a writer, and as an actor. Thank you so much for spending your, spending this time with me today. Uh, so, so the book is on acting and life. It will be released on May 3rd. You can order a signed copy at www.onactingandlife.com. William B. Davis, where can our fans find you, follow you, celebrate you on all the socials? <laughs> Are you on the socials? You're on the socials. You're on, you're on Twitter, I'm, right? I'm on the socials. I'm not, not as, not as um, brilliant as I could be. But, but yeah, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. Um, and uh, we have our own website, uh, williambdavis.com. And that'll take you to anywhere you want to go about my life, really. Excellent. Excellent. I actually do have one more question. If you're going to write a third volume, what do you think? Have you thought about this, writing a third uh, book? What you I have not really. I've been asked that question, and it percolates. Um, yeah. Because my, my wife keeps saying we should be spending our summers in Italy in some kind of uh, villa or something. And, and I, that sounds lovely, but what would I do? Yeah. <laughs> well, I have to have a book to write <laughs> or something to write. Yeah. All right, so if you have any ideas for the third book that uh, William's going to write, you can tweet them. Okay. Adam. And, uh, and you can find links to everything that we've talked about, uh, as w including the social media sites and the footnotes for this episode. Thank you very much, William. Thank you. It's fun. And thank you to our listeners. Please like, subscribe, leave us a review if you are so inclined. They help us find even more listeners and we can keep having conversations like the one we had today. You can find us at www.yvrscreenscene.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at YVRScreenScene or my personal one at SabrinaArf. The YVR Screen Scene podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Ronnie Furminger. I am the only one to blame. And it's edited by Simon Furminger. Special thanks to Mariana Furminger for recording our Patreon ad, to Paul Furminger for technical support, and to Dane, not Furminger Devley, honorary Furminger Dane Devley for the original music. YVR Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut. Hey, filmmakers. Did you know that you can hire top quality, experienced, and professional actors for your films? If you're producing a student film for course credits, working on a web series, a short or a feature film, you can afford to have some of the best talent in the business in your production. How, you ask? Well, UBCP Actor has an ultra-low budget program, which offers a range of options that cover everything from student films to productions with a $300,000 budget. There is a ULB program that will meet your needs, regardless of your budget. To learn more, visit ubcpactor.ca and look for ultra-low budget programs or email ulbprogram at ubcpactra.ca. Now is the time to jumpstart your dream for the screen.